All right, we're going to kick things off tonight. We've got a little bit of a bonus episode for our uh, Undertow podcast listeners. This is uh, the podcast dedicated to the crime comics of Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. Uh, but uh, this episode, we're doing something a little different. We're going to uh, give a quick talk on AD, After Death, um, the uh, miniseries that just wrapped up from Image Comics by Scott Snyder and Jeff Lemire. Uh, we decided that we wanted to uh, dive into this a little bit more than we do on our normal recommendation section, so we'd make it a separate episode. Um, again, there will be spoilers in this episode, so you should definitely read all three books of After Death before listening. But uh, again, my name is Robert Watson. This is a bonus episode of the Undertow Podcast. I've got Bubba Beasley on the line, as always. Hey, everyone. We are going to, uh, yeah, talk about AD, which was a which was a really nice surprise and... Just a really, really fantastic book. What'd you think, Bubba? Yeah, um, I don't. I don't think I could recommend it more highly. It's um, uh, not only a book that I, I'd recommend, and and just had uh, my wife read um, over this past weekend. Recommended to her, and she does not read a lot of comic books at all, and she thought it was very enjoyable, very thought provoking, very much well worth reading. Um, it's. It's also the sort of book that I think is um, right up the alley of our uh, of our traditional listeners, uh, the fans of uh, Brubaker and Phillips. Um, it's in this uh, larger format, much like the uh, the magazine editions for the um, uh, for the criminal one shots, the magazine variants. Uh, same height, a little bit uh, skinnier in the the width, um, but it's each of these three books. You know, they they are they are thick. They're, there's a lot of content. Um, a lot of, uh, of personal storytelling, um, where you really get to know the narrator very, very well. Um, much like I would say like criminals, uh, last of the innocent or much like, uh, the fade out. And, um, there is a, a element of, uh, criminality in this cause and we, uh, come to find out that the, uh, that the central character is, um, is a professional thief. So. The sci-fi element. There's the social commentary. There's fears and anxieties about society in general, but and about you know death at a very personal level. I, I really enjoyed this book. So yeah, the book it it felt incredibly personal. Um, that we'll dive into a little bit later. And I don't know if if Scott Snyder was pulling on any of that stuff from anything in his own life or not. But either way, he did an incredible job of of really making it feel personal. And it's just um. Yeah, like you said, this extra big size, it's just, it's put together really, really well. The packaging's nice, and, and it definitely puts you in mind of the care that those large format criminal magazine versions came out as well. And yeah, big fan of Jeff Lemire's art as well, and uh, I believe this is the first time these two have worked together as far as um, artist and writer in that capacity. And uh, it's just, it's a it's an interesting book. It's a mix of of prose and and graphic novel sequential storytelling, so it goes back and forth, and uh, it's a dense book. There's a lot there, and and because there was some strange delays before the last issue came out, I you know I got a lot more out of it as I sat down and reread the whole series start to finish. And uh, right as we were going on the air tonight to record, I just noticed online that um, the hardcover deluxe edition of of the collected edition of all three of these I think is due out tomorrow, so. I'm sure that it will gain even more readers now that that's out. There'll be people diving in that way, and, and the more people that that like this sort of extra large format, the um, the more we we would hopefully see it because I think this is a very good format for um, 
for serious storytelling. So yeah, and did I read something? I I can't remember where I read it, but I think it was Ed um, Brubaker talking about that that they probably wouldn't do another extra big size in the near future because comic retailers really didn't like it because it was kind of a pain just because of the format didn't fit with their normal, um, you know, storage and just the, the handling of the book or the mailing of it. I think he said it was just kind of a causing a headache with the retailers, but as a fan and a reader, I'm a huge fan of that format. Yeah. And all, all and it wouldn't have to change the entire industry. It just would have to re- reach some sort of critical mass where, you know, in, enough of the big name um big name creators and and it's hard to get bigger names in terms of um uh of contemporary comics than say scott snyder because of his his pretty big run on uh, batman um you know just get a critical mass of these these larger format books for books that deserve it for for really just charismatic magnetic books and you know, who knows? Who knows what we would see in the future? So, yeah, and interestingly enough, like you said, the 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 protagonist of this book is a thief, which is uh, also where where criminal started out. Was we had a professional thief as well in um, in coward. Yeah, uh, a professional thief in coward, and one uh, and a person who is defined by his fears. In uh, you know, Leo in coward, and then you have uh, Cook in this one. Yeah. Yeah, and that was an interesting thing that you pointed out, um, that we think that the creators of this book, it was a nice little touch that we think they were doing an homage to uh, the late Darwin Cook, who both Bub and I are, are big fans of. The uh, The main character's name is Jonah Cook, um, and in an early, in the first issue, he's... Uh, you know, he's his his occupation at that time is he's working on a farm and he's taking care of cows and one of the cows is named Darwin and it's spelled exactly like Darwin Cook. So I thought that was a nice little tip of the hat to uh, to the late great Darwin Cook. Yep. And then I think the uh, the main character's name uh, Jonah Cook. Whenever you see those uh, initials JC, you you know you can. See, I don't think it's too big of a leap to to see allusions to you know. Christianity and and death and rebirth and and that's exactly what we what we see here. So, yeah, I looked up some reviews too um, in preparation for the show tonight. Um, was just reading some some reviews online about this book and uh, uh, there's a pretty good Comic Bastards review um, on that site. They they said it's a novella, diary, and photo album all rolled into one, um, which I thought was a pretty good description because yeah, the format is not you know I've seen people. And I think that's becoming more common for um, comic creators to kind of, you know, think outside the box as far as the format. So we're getting this mix of prose. Uh, and, you know, even Ed and Sean have been doing that a little bit. They've been playing with the form a little bit in Killer Be Killed, basically with, you know, separating the text from the image. They've been doing it, you know, usually about every issue. There's usually one or two pages like that. So I think that's something that people are exploring. And, and, and I like to see because the you know the format is so flexible that you can really do anything with it. So I like that that the creators are are kind of thinking outside the box there. And and in this case, it was a very um, uh, deliberate decision. Um, I like s- seeing uh, formats being changed up and you know playing with the medium 
if there's a if there's a purpose behind it as opposed to it just being a, a kind of academic exercise and i think i think it's fair to say we're going to go ahead and go into spoiler territory right oh yeah yeah i think so well what we find out is what we've been reading is um jonah Kirk, jonah cook's third journal that that what we read is that um that that journal that he creates after he stumbles across um, the two prior journals uh, from his basically from his past existence, and yeah, I I don't as much as I enjoyed this book, I don't think it's absolutely flawless. There are a couple of things. I, the the ending uh, because of its ambiguity could be seen just as frustrating as uh, as some Christopher Nolan movies that that we won't. Well, we can go ahead and mention um, Inception, you know, with its with it, the ambiguity in its ending. Um, the there was almost Crichton-esque verisimilitude in terms of the science, you know, sounding real. And my uh, my wife's, uh, you know, veterinarian. She's into to, to medical science and and genetics and and that sort of thing. And she said that yeah. It, how it did she think it held up? She thought it held up great. She she was and that was one of the the first things she told me was that she was very impressed with how real um, he made he made everything feel and and he really did with maybe one or two two uh, exceptions one small thing is I don't know if the timeline lines up you know if he, if Jonah Cook was six years old in 1982. He would be he would be 14 years old, not 12 years old, to steal a 1990. Um, what was it? A nine, not a Sony Walkman, but a but a Sony uh, tape recorder. And that's that's a really minor thing. You know, the sort of thing that that you don't notice it unless somebody points it out. But the the other thing is that this text uh, journal, what we're reading in in the the prose um, pages with the illustrations, it's Jonah's handwritten journal. But it doesn't look like a handwritten journal. So, so in that respect, it's a it's a bit of a fake out, I think. Yeah, to keep the to keep the mystery until the end on, on what exactly we are reading. Yep. If it had been and, uh, if it had been been handwritten with, you know, sketches in a completely different style from um, from from the rest of the book, where it looked like, you know, Lemire was was aping and. Well, if not an amateur artist, because the the entire premise of the the book is that you have, you know, multiple lifetimes to develop all sorts of artistic skills. Um, but if it it looked like a journal, I think it would have been more obvious what we were reading. But because it didn't, and you had even you know, it looked like um, old typing, and even on occasion the paragraphs were, you know, shaped into. One one time it was shaped into a circle and looks really cool, reads really really well, but it's kind of a fake out in terms of what it is we're reading. Yeah, and as far as the uh, science, yeah, to my um, you know I wasn't educated at all in the areas of science that they were talking about, but yeah, just based on reading it, it's you know it, it came across as sound and it came across as solid, so it, it definitely seemed like Snyder had done his research and. Um, and it really helped the book because it was a big part of it. Um, yeah, like you said, it's science fiction elements, but it feels plausible, um, and it feels you know it feels real. So it just it came across really well. And what a good pairing between uh, you know Snyder doing the scripting and uh, Jeff Lemire's you know gorgeous watercolors throughout. 
Um, and I, you know, I like the format of back and forth, but I did find myself wanting more. Um, I kind of wanted more sequential storytelling that, you know, just because I like Jeff Lemire's artwork so much. So sometimes, you know, it was relegated to, to a smaller portion of the book. Um, and I found myself wanting more of it, but when it did, you know, when you turn the page and it was back and in its full glory, it would jump out at you. So that was kind of nice too. Yeah. And I think this is a good introduction to both, uh, creators. Uh, I read a little bit of Snyder's, um, stuff on Batman following, uh, Grant Morrison's stuff and wasn't a huge fan of Morrison's work on the, on the title and saw some of conceptual retreading in Snyder's of, you know, the grand conspiracy that's gone back generations and affected the city from its very founding. And it's like, eh. um, but with this, this being a, um, a very self-contained, uh, piece, you know, and, and it's a meaty work. It, 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 it took, you know, three nights for, um, for my wife to get through it a night for each uh, for each issue um but it is a self-contained um very limited um book i think it's a great introduction to 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 both of them and i've already been reading black hammer which is written by jeff lemire but it but a work like this wants me to explore more from both of them uh for for snyder that i know he's uh, done the work witches yeah, witches. I think is coming back too, and that was the. There were only like maybe I think it was just like four or five issues, but it was strong. That's definitely worth checking out. Yep. And then you've recommended a couple of uh, other books from uh, from Jeff Lemire. From Jeff Lemire. Yeah, I yeah, like I said, he's he's just rising my ranks. Um, you know, such a strong, such a strong comic creator, um, both writing plotting and his artwork is just yeah i i pretty much like it all that i've read and i haven't read all of his work i haven't read a lot of his dc superhero stuff but um the creator owned stuff i've got a pretty good handle on and yeah it's it's all really really strong and i just want to see more creator owned stuff from from both these guys um i don't i've and i know that there are people in at other phases in their in their lives as comic book readers but them working on a superhero book is actually the least interesting idea, <laughs> in my opinion. Yeah, no, I this was a this was just a match made in heaven, I think. So yeah, we'll just kind of do a rundown here uh, uh, through the book, like I said, as we work through it. So yeah, we've already talked about the protagonist Jonah Cook. So we're introduced to him as a boy um, in the first issue, and he does this. There's this whole segment on his first memory. So he's on this ill-fated vacation with his parents in Florida. Um, his parents have been unable to have any more children and are unfulfilled with work and life in general, and they stumble upon this balloon that's flying through the air, real mysterious, and it's, uh, they realize it's part of a contest, and even they can't win at that. And so they're just, the frustration is building, and then, you know, to top it all off, Jonah's mother collapses unexpectedly at this moment with a very serious medical condition. And so then that's the kind of the intro to the book, and then it jumps forward to what would be the present day in the book, which is 825 A.D., which is after death. So we're talking, so I guess we're looking at 825 years after this cure for death was scientifically created. Uh, we're actually a little further than that, I think, uh, at this point. We're actually around, I think, 830. There there are three different threads. There's there's the, the journal start, which is his life story, um, and then... Yeah, the starting off in the scene in the jungle is as far forward as as we're getting. It's getting very close to the climax. Yeah, that's already, the end. Yeah. yeah, he's already escaped, and then we go back to 
him putting and spoilers again, but him putting the plot in motion, you know, from the uh, from the very beginning, from the uh, the the uh, his working on the farm there in the resort, um, the very first act in in, in his grand um, scheme to 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 escape um, this kind of utopian paradise is to to successfully steal the the cow um darwin and i think either undersized cow or a calf um and to get reassigned to the the ridge where he's going to start listening for signals and if and he'll basically at the first sign of life put his plan into motion use the cow to steal um to steal the child claire claire thank you uh to steal claire and then you know from from the ridge uh, begin his journey down to the sur- you know to the uh, quote unquote surface you know, to sea level basically. Yeah, the the book just had it had such a cinematic feel to it that, um, yeah, I was just like it's even even reading the first issue, I'm like, man, this is definitely going to get optioned as a movie. It just had it, it seems ripe for uh, cinematic adaptation. Um, so I definitely see that in the future, and I think you said you had already seen that that had happened. There had been yep. some some you're, already talk about a, a, a transaction, a Hollywood deal. Yeah, you you and I aren't the only one to only ones to have seen that. Yeah, is to to have seen the potential. Uh, December seventh of last year, the Hollywood Reporter exclusively um, reported that the uh, comic was headed to the big screen. Um, that uh, Sony has picked up the film rights to AD After Death, a buzzy comic book miniseries from two of the industry's leading creators, Scott Snyder and Jeff Lemire. Uh, Josh Bratman is attached to produce. Uh, the two of them, Snyder and Lemire, will serve as executive producers. Yeah, um, it's described as a three-issue book, has weighty issues on its mind, aging or lack thereof, immortality, and combined sections of sequential art with sections of prose as well as painted art. And um, it, with this announcement... What this book reminds me of more than anything else, the, and, and more than any particular, say, Brubaker work or uh, Sean Phillips' work, is um, is uh, Stardust by uh, Neil Gaiman, um, which was, I think, originally written as a prose novel, but was most popularly known as um, a, as a prose work with uh, illustrations. So a lot, like a lot of uh, AD After Death, you know, we have um, this these beautiful illustrations with the text, and it ended up um, being turned into a movie with what, Claire Danes, Michelle Pfeiffer, Robert De Niro, and I read the book before I saw the movie and did and uh, enjoyed both, but in both cases I thought they were were quite good. They were both very different animals. Um, but they neither of them were quite perfect, good but 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 flawed in both cases, and I wouldn't be surprised, um, particularly because there's so much heady stuff uh, in this book. I wouldn't be surprised if the adaptation is is also its own animal, and is also, you know, not quite not quite a perfect ten. Yeah, well, and I have and I have mixed feelings about you know I know that. Um, there's been criminal movie adaptation news, you know, that's been floating around that they're going to make a criminal movie based on the criminal comic. And yeah, I have mixed feelings about it. I mean, I'm excited to see what somebody could do with that material because I love the source material, but, um, 
yeah, I just have a hard time believing that I would ever like it as much as I like the comic. And I feel the same way about this, but that's just, you know, me personally. So, I mean, it would still be, it's, it's a great story. So I definitely think someone could make a powerful movie from it. Yep. Um, but yeah, I would definitely have reservations about it, about it being as high a quality as this is in its own medium. But I also, speaking of cinematic references, um, Joe, so we find out Joan is a thief and he, uh, he takes this cow back to his barn and he has this barn full of stolen things. And of course he, you know, he's been working this job for, he says three cycles. And so, you know, we're talking, you know, decades and decades and decades. So he's collect, you know, he collects things, um, and it looked suspiciously like he had the space capsule from uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey in his barn, which I thought was cool. There's a Picasso painting in there. There's a whole collection of stuff, and those were the two that jumped out at me. Yep, and I saw the the same thing. And that's, I think, become a pretty um, – if you're going to put sci-fi Easter eggs uh, into into work and it's not going to be R2-D2, that's a pretty obvious one to, to put in there because I think, I think the uh, – the pod, you know, from the the open the pod bay doors. Yeah, uh, that sequence. I think that showed up like in a junkyard in one of the Star Wars prequels. And the the only thing is, when I saw that, I was wondering what we were. I, I would assume that we were not, because we find out later that that he befriends three um, three astronauts. astronauts, one of whom reached the furthest distance that any man ha- has ever reached. Um, because of that, and because they're, you know, the, the space program doesn't go any further than that. I guess what that is is not it's not the ac- an actual pod from a space program. It's the pod. I guess from it's the a movie. movie prop. Yeah, yeah, that's what I assumed was. It was just like a you know a collect you know because he, you know, when he's talking about stealing things, you know, he steals paintings. So um, I guess it's just highly collectible things. So yeah, I guess a movie, a famous movie prop would be highly collectible. So yeah, that's how I took it too, is it must be, yeah, just a a collector's edition from the movie. But it was cool. Yeah, I enjoyed that. And so he's got this barn full of things. And the the cassette recording of his family life, that kind of got to me. I thought that was, um, that was a nice passage there, thinking of him listening to his past. So we're talking hundreds of years later. Hundreds of years later, he's, uh, you know, listening to audio recordings of his family from when he was a kid. And I, you know, so that was a kind of a cool moment because, you know, I would love to hear audio recordings from, you know, my childhood and, and, you know, we're not talking about hundreds and hundreds of years. So I thought that was kind of a neat moment too. Yep. As far as the art goes, I really like. there's a shot where they did a nice thing with, uh, also kind of playing with the form, the unspooled cassette tape and it transitioned into an IV bag lines of his mom laying in a hospital bed. So I thought that was a, that was a pretty cool transition, and then my favorite, um, my favorite frame of the uh, first issue was the two-page spread. Once he gets to the ridge, the for his next job assignment, um, there's this big, wide, two-page, gorgeous two-page spread of uh, of a girl looking through the observation glass at the swirling colors outside. Who we later find out is Inez that he knows from from you know, previous lifetimes, but we don't know that at the time. But it's just, there's these swirling cur- colors outside and the, the, you know, it's just, it's really nice in that nice big wide format. And and that was gorgeous, um, but it wasn't quite my favorite, I guess, double page spread from the that particular issue was a couple pages back, um, him getting to, to the uh, ridge in his beat up pickup truck. 
uh, just rereading oh, it the second time. Going up the mountain. Yep, going, going up the up mountain, the mountain. And, and he says to himself, start prepping the steak. And knowing the now knowing the context of what he's talking about, I <laughs> I find that to be a pretty hilarious line because yeah, the 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 science seems seems real, the personal psychology seems real, but also in this case the the modern high tech um thievery business seems real you know going going online to these these chat rooms and the and the dark web that you know rooms that appear and disappear and the terminology where you have um the uh hot head of table um and people you know discussing bread hypothetically and steak as as real as um uh real objects to steal as as real um, missions, and I just think it's funny. He he says, "Start prepping the steak," which refers, you know, to his uh, thievery, but could also refer to the cow that that's going to play a, a a role in the theft. So yeah, and the he says he says somewhere too. I think it's an issue too. He's talking about um, yeah. It's when he it's the section where he talks about why he started stealing things, and he steals that painting, the land of milk and honey. And he says theft was a form of magic, and he talks about removing something from the steel system that contains it, which, uh, you know, and then in light of the third issue, you realize that that seems to be alluding to how he um, steals the sick girl later and is taking her away from the world on top of the mountain. Yep. So, so I thought that was a nice reference, too, that I didn't catch until once you look at it in context of the whole story. And it's kind of funny, I mean, how much uh, theft and and comes up, not just with the tape recorder, but... With this sort of the, him and his mom intruding into these these mansions on the beach, and yeah, I mean, I when I was uh, rereading this, um, you know, rereading all three when the third book came out, I was jotting notes, and and the three words at the top of the page are death, theft, and memory, and that that sums up a very trippy sci-fi book, I think. Yeah, and I just I don't know that I've ever seen anybody present theft as this kind of in terms of nostalgia. I don't know that I've really seen that exact angle before, but um but that's almost what we had uh what Jonah was doing. It was like once again, but you know, you only the science is there for you to live longer than a lifetime, but you don't remember anything past your normal average life expectancy. So you know, it kind of goes along with journaling everything. You don't want to forget anybody. You don't want to forget what you've done in your life. And he was looking at thievery kind of the same way. And we saw it as a kid. He was, you know, he wanted to record and capture that moment in time um, so that he could, you know, hold on to it. So I, I don't know that I, I've ever seen that exact angle. I like that, the the theft in the form of nostalgia. Yep. And and this uh, idea of, of fighting against um, entropy almost. You know, tr- fighting against losing your memory with the journal, journal fighting against, um, you know, everything in the museum is go- going to pass away at some point. So might as well steal one. And if you can preserve it, if you can hold on to that one comic book, you, you've you've kind of escaped history. So and yeah, I, do, and you... I, I do like the fact that in the premise that you that the secret to eternal life does not include eternal memory. You mentioned Christopher Nolan earlier, and I mean, there's definitely shades of memento popping up here in this third issue. With, I mean, based on the whole the the whole memory thing, and he's jotting everything down. 
Uh, and then the the ending itself was was definitely reminiscent, I think, of of the the climax of Memento when you know so, somebody's informing him like, "Hey, you know, you've been here a hundred times, you just don't remember it." And we don't know if that's necessarily true, but the the antagonist of the story, or who kind of turns into the antagonist, is this errant character who's this um, uber rich guy who anonymously uh, hired Jonah to steal things. Um, but who kind of looks like it, David Bowie, I think. Yeah, well, who was also in a Christopher Nolan movie. But yeah, that that ending where Errant says like, "Hey, you do this every time. You know, you you try to escape." You get you only get so far, then you come back and beg us to let you back in, and then you forget about the whole thing and start back over. I mean, that's um, definitely reminiscent of the plot of Memento. Was the first thing it put me in mind of. The big question is, do we believe him? The two yeah, big questions about the ending is: is number one, is is Errant um, a credible and believable, um, you know, uh, uh, antagonist? Is 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 it possible he's lying? And then number two, how does Cook respond? You know, how does how does the story end? And and I it almost wouldn't seem to matter how it ends because it either resets, um, you know, re, re, <laughs> resets all the dominoes and it happens again, um, and he just slowly loses that will to uh, to escape and be free. Or he does escape, but but short, dies shortly thereafter. One way or another, the the story ends. Yeah, he and Claire would become mortal again once they descended um, and left that that area on top of the mountain. So yeah, what what did you the ending? Yeah, that's that's ripe for discussion um, because it's so it's so up in the air. How did you feel about the ending? I mean, did you like the um, the no cohesive ending, or or would you have liked to have seen a cleaner, tighter? more definitive ending you know i i I, it's the difference between uh reading a mystery story and doing a crossword you know i or doing a connect the dots i i like the storyteller to to craft something where there is a beginning middle and end but uh, again the comparisons to uh inception come up i'm not sure how much how much it it matters because either way, this story is ending. Just like Inception, either way, he made the he made his choice to enter um, that 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 world with his um, w- with his uh, reunited kids, or reunited with his kids, whether whether it was real or not. He didn't care anymore. So that was the the important point. Yeah, I felt yeah I felt slightly shortchanged by the ending, but. Um, I didn't really think it took away from the book because I enjoyed this book so much that it worked. I mean, yeah, I could have I could have used a little more clarity at the end, but um, I mean, obviously that was a conscious decision by the creators. I'm sure they weighed all their options with, okay, we could show this happening, or we could show this happening, or we could you know leave it open ended. So it, it it did work. It did work in the context of the story. <laughs> you know, having one foot in the water and one foot on the shore couldn't be more literally ambiv- ambiguous. Yeah, yeah, very enigmatic ending. Yep, but I mean, it's it's very clear from the pages leading up to that. I, I think a book that does lean too much toward illustrated prose isn't making the best use of of the me- medium of sequential images. But once that journal wraps up and and it it is wrapping up with basically narration as he's r- running toward the shore. Once everything comes to to a head. The last 
oh gosh, what is it, 10, 20 pages is is nothing but pure comics, and the last few pages become more and more intense as you as time slows down, as the um, as the panel zooms in on the on the three characters, and as we see flashes of of his memory, he says, "This time, this time I will close my eyes. I will remember, and when I open them, we will go." It's very very clear what he wants to do. It's just not not clear whether he follows through on it. We really only get to know one character basically in this book. I mean, they you know, there's other characters, there's side characters. You know, we get a little bit with Inez, but but not much perspective. I mean, this book is pretty much strictly from Jonah's perspective. Well, and I and and I think that makes makes some degree of sense in terms of we find out yeah well we find out who Inez was um but she she has left that past behind so what that what she was in the past doesn't matter as much then errant is we we know from you know the really good metaphors in terms of the the physical objects and and this one um this was book 2 titled the goodbye suit the the sequined jacket that told you know, it, it almost seemed like either an Elvis Presley type, or I was thinking more of a Johnny Cash type. Yeah, uh, I I think I was thinking Hank Williams, but I don't have anything to back that up. The picture, the picture of the guy in the suit, it, it looked like Hank Williams. But the idea that 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 jacket summed up his life, the musician's life, and the um, and Errant had a jacket made for for him doing the same thing and he burned it because he did not want his story to end is that he seems driven by a need for for immortality but not at all by any sort of need for um for relationships he sees you know everyone in this community learning to become become quote unquote better people in terms of the art that they are able to produce and this book i think does a very good job at at conveying Conveying things that can't really be captured, the color that that is just beyond the um, the the purplest color. You know what what would ultraviolet look like if we could actually see it? Um, that and then the the music. What would music sound like if you had forever to create it? And but he seems purely interested in in those sorts of sorts of questions, and because of that that memory issue because you lose your memory you lose your relationships you you can you can start them all over again and um Jonah has this this great bit about basically that he's just kind of rummaging through his life and picking up an object and deciding it, to take it for a spin for a, for a few decades and then when he's done he'll do it again he's exploring the same terrain over and over again that's not really life. That's not really what we're here, you know, what I think what we're here for. And that kind of loss of intimacy, of relationship, of identity, Aaron is absolutely fine with so long as he's been able to record his progress. <laughs> and I think that yeah. that's all, all we need to know about him. And um, I think we've we've name checked a you know a couple of Chris Nolan films, a couple one or two criminal arcs, certainly Coward, um, but also the two one shots with with the change in in presentation style, you know, with uh, uh, referenced uh, Stardust by Gaiman and and Vess. Um, but the other thing I wrote down in my notes 
is uh, Full Metal Alchemist. And that was a, a, a Japanese anime I caught a good bit on on Adult Swim years ago. And I think it's based on a manga or vice versa, but I think the manga came first. But regardless, it's you know alchemists, uh, alchemy magicians set in the present day. But there's this one rule, uh, this rule of equivalent exchange, that every genuine act of magic you perform has to come at a at a cost. And if it's an a really uh, a, a really powerful act of magic, you know, bringing a loved one from the dead, the costs are going to be very, very high indeed. And it seemed like in this one that, that one of the things I loved about the fact that the memory fades away after a, after a, a normal human lifetime is that that you know going in, that's the cost, is that you give up your memory, you give up your identity – you you give up to a large degree who you really are, and um, Inez seemed to to slip into being okay with that, you know, as things went on. And you know, re rereading this that that second time, coming across that that doormat, you know, hello, my name is Matt. Ah, oh, that's a cute little thing. And then you find out its meaning, and and the and the fact that you see it's being used is just heartbreaking. And, it, and she seems to be fine having having slipped into this this um, this immortality where you're not really living, where you're just going through the motions. And then it seems like Errant uh, took this sort of devil's bargain with eyes wide open that he was he was completely fine with not not having real relationships or a real identity. It's just his. Um, the progress he was going to make in, in in the arts, and that he was going to record so he could push forward, eh, that was that was worth it. And just the fact that he didn't die. It is science fiction, but at the same time, there's these long, long, highly personal, um, you know, family sections that these moments that don't feel like sci-fi at all. Yep. Um, you know those that that intro scene with his mom and the balloon. I mean, those were so well put together and and just seemed so intimate and personal. You usually don't get that in a science fiction book, and it all worked. You know, and it all came together. And then even the science sounded solid. Um, so yeah, really, I can't say enough about this book. Yeah, good sci-fi, good psychology, um, and good sociology. I think he he nailed kind of this um, anxiety of everything's falling apart that. What was it that it was this sort of double spiral? Everybody pulling in on themselves, but pulling away from from the larger community, away from society. Um, and I don't, I, I certainly hope it doesn't end like this book describes. And it's you know, it's kind of one of those things. The way I think Watchmen perfectly captured the anxiety of the 1980s with um, uh, the Cold War anxieties and the the um, the uh, doomsday clock, you know, ticking with minutes to midnight. Um, you know, at the very least, the Cold War ended on a happy note, and and maybe this current sort of unease that we feel will will resolve itself better than 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 it might otherwise. But regardless of how it resolves, I think Snyder did a hell of a job capturing it, capturing that that feeling of. Uh, of everything just falling apart 
what it, how he put it, humanity getting old. Yeah, and, I, and I'm glad you mentioned that too, that you uh, recommended that your wife read it, because I do feel like this is one of those books that um, regardless of whether you're a comic fan or not, you should be able to pick up this book. And, it, you know, it's just it's such a solid piece of work, regardless of the medium. Um, I think it's, you know, and it's a very accessible story. I think I think this would speak to a lot of people. No, well, that was fun. You know, the, like I said, this is outside the realm of what we obviously what we normally talk about with Brubaker and Phillips books. But um, being a contemporary creator owned book that we thought was just, you know, really really solid top tier comic so we wanted to kind of dive into it in a little bit different fashion than we have been usually on our recommendations and it was just a yeah like i said we we were both enjoying it and so uh felt like a, a good time to visit ad after death so yeah the deluxe hardcover will be out shortly and then once once the book the this um bonus episode is released well we will have preserved this conversation we will have gotten it out of our heads and in a sense we will be immortal <laughs> yes yes the internet uh is immortal i guess in theory well we appreciate you listening folks uh that was our kind of bonus discussion on ad after death and uh yeah, we will be back as soon as the next issue of uh, Killer Be Killed is set, and we will break down the latest Brubaker and Phillips book. Again, this is Robert Watson. I've got Bubba Beasley on the other line for the Undertow podcast, and we appreciate you listening. It's time to go again to your blue room. Got some questions to ask of you. Yeah.